Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. To get the Crime Writers on After Show right now, go to patreon.com slash partners in crime media. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this is Crime Writers On. Crime Writers On is the original true crime review podcast that digs into true crime, pop culture, other podcasts. And on this episode, it was the home of steelworkers, mobsters, and the nation's most colorful congressman, and was called Crime Town USA. Mark Smerling brings us to Crooked City, Youngstown, Ohio. Joining me to get that done and more is true crime author, TV journalist, and host of the These Are Their Stories podcast, my husband and love of my life, Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin. That's me. Yes. Hello. (laughs) Also with us is private investigator, certified pet detective, resident cat lady, and author of Dead on Deadline, Laura Bricker. Hello, Laura. Hello, Rebecca. And the final curtain launch date, the second book, is on the calendar. So get ready, October 1st. Ooh, very, very exciting. Mm -hmm. Finally with us, our captain of all things cynical, author of the City Trilogy, host of the Strange Arrivals podcast, and our Patreon Deep Dive Book Club podcast host, Toby Ball. Hello, Toby. Hey, Rebecca. I noticed that uh, Lara has scheduled her book launch for the same day as the SATs. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm not sure if it's a coincidence or or whether that was planned. Actually, it was scheduled for the same day as the Beer and Chili Festival in Exeter. Oh, yes. This book, you know, obviously has some murder and some scones, but it also takes place during this festival. Oh, wow. Is there any chili involved? Um, there is no moose meat, but there is a reference to moose meat chili. Yeah, yeah. SAT. So Lara is to publishing as Jim Trafficant is to. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, fill in I the will blank. say, I give so much admiration to Lara. She's such a hustler, right? Like, mm-hmm. she said her book during this festival, she's releasing it during this festival. I am guessing that a lot of people will be in downtown Exeter, New Hampshire for this festival when your mm-hmm. book launches, yes or no? Yes. And I'm guessing that you will probably have a presence. <laughs> Near at this festival, mm-hmm. yeah. this and probably cl- hovering right around the bookstore where this book will be for sale, and you'll be mm-hmm. pointing people to it with a giant sandwich board sign or arrow or something, being like, "Hey guys, right? You are a hustler." Yeah, actually, I would just be pulling them off the street and into the store, yeah. um, which is what I like to do. Well, Rebecca and I cannot be there because we are going to be in Columbus, Ohio, at Obsessed Fest. Yep, with uh, Patrick and Jillian and all of the Obsessed. Network uh, extended family 
And uh, Toby, I will give a uh, a warm welcome to uh, Amber Hunt on your behalf. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Ooh. Ooh, well, stay tuned though. That's not the actual party. That's the the day the book is being released. So details coming for a uh, big shindig at okay. some point after that. So, all right. So, Kevin, of course. We are nearing the end of our weekly schedule of summer programs. We're we'll yep. going back to twice weekly in two weeks, right? I believe so. Do yeah. we know what's coming up on next Monday's program, which is our final weekly program of the summer? Yeah, we're going to be talking about the Netflix documentary series, I Just Killed My Dad. I don't want to spoil it, but I mean, that's kind of <laughs> says a lot in the title there. I wonder what, what happens in that. Uh, yeah. So much more, though. So much more. Yeah. A lot more happens than just uh, somebody who says, I just killed my dad. That's for sure. Um, Kevin, can I just do one quick shameless plug before we start the show? A shameless plug? A shameless plug. Well, it's Go a shameless it. plug on behalf of a shameless friend. So uh, one of my new favorite podcasts is a podcast by uh, a new shameless friend, Laura Mayer, who is a podcast genius who's launched and produced many, many many shows. She has a new show, which I think our listeners would love called Shameless Acquisition Target. Mm -hmm. It's sort of like startup. Um, She is basically uh, started a show where she is talking about the podcast industry and what it takes to become successful in the podcast industry through the lens of the fact that despite being a really successful podcast producer, she's never gotten successful and rich in the podcast Mm -hmm. industry. And so she's made this show and basically said, somebody buy my show. Like that's the whole premise of the show. And it is hilarious and great. And when I heard it, I was like, we need in on this. So uh, I appeared on episode three as a shameless promotional swap. And I want everyone on this show to listen to her show. And because this is part of the shameless promotional swap for her that I am doing. But also I would not be saying it if I didn't love her show so much. It is great. It is really, really fun. You like it too, Kevin, right? Yes, I do. Yes. So everyone check out Laura Mayer's show, Shameless Acquisition Target. I really love it, and I recommend that you all listen to it, because I really do think you'll like it, too. How about today's podcast? All right, let's get to it. Should we drop that first clip right now? Yep. All right, leading off. Crime time, bomb town. Mob town. Murder town. Murder city, USA. I think people were kind of proud of it, that we had that reputation. The mob at Youngstown, it's like they were always there. I was never in the mafia. Don't get me wrong. They're all good friends of mine. I put a package on his desk saying, here's 25000 Go kill this fucking guy. For years, the mafia ran Youngstown, Ohio, providing the drugs, gambling, and prostitution the blue-collar town was known for. As crime got worse, Jim Traficant ran for sheriff on a platform to kick out the mob at the same time he was taking money from them. I did take your money, though, and you do have an interest, and I'll work it out. I don't want no problem. But there was a problem. Traficant had also taken money from the Carabia's sworn enemy. Pittsburgh underboss, Little Joey Naples. Even after the FBI arrested him, Traficant was a beloved figure in Youngstown. He was elected to Congress as a populist candidate who fought for his district, all while taking bribes and evading taxes. For the politicians, for the powerful, influential people in his valley who want me out, here's my statement. Go and fuck yourselves. Crimetown creator Mark Smerling is back with Crooked City, Youngstown, Ohio. This 15-part podcast brings the tales of the city's mobsters as they maneuver for money and power and how the colorful trafficant worked both sides of the law. Spoiler alert, we are going to be talking about plot points from Crooked City, Youngstown, Ohio. So if you want to remain spoiler-free, go to the estimated time code in our show notes to hear our thumbs-up or thumbs-down reviews. Now, Kevin, I couldn't help listening to this podcast and thinking, 
Mark Smerling definitely did not get to take the name Crime Town with him when he left making that show Crime Town that he made with Gimlet, right? Because Youngstown, Ohio's nickname apparently is Crime Town. And I kind of thought like, man, this would have been a great Crime Town season two or three or whatever, right? Crime Town, colon Crime Town USA. <laughs> yes. Well, he didn't get to take the name and that's, oh my God, these inside podcast IP deals and whatnot. But I think he certainly brought his sensibility from Crime Town into, I mean, again, it's the idea is we're going to be focusing on one community and the uh, significant crime and the the underworld stories. And again, just like with uh, Providence, Rhode Island, we have a big political figure here who's kind of trying to anchor the whole story around. So, you know, Crime Town by any other name. Yeah. Now, did, did this podcast remind you of Crime Town? Yeah, it did. Yeah. It did. In fact, it actually, I was actually struck by the similarities between Mark Smerling and Leon Nafok, sort of in the construction of their podcasts. Because, you know, Smiley might add like a couple of unnecessary sound effects, but it's certainly filled with like with solid interviews with colorful people balanced with the right amount of narrative. And it sounds really good. And I was really kind of surprised because we had just listened to Fiasco and it kind of struck me that while their narrative voices are a little different, it just sounds like uh, it all was sort of produced and edited with a, a, a very high quality and a very similar quality. So this podcast isn't just about Jim Trafficant. And in fact, the first three episodes, I mean, we start, we open with a scene of Jim Trafficant and the accident that caused his death. But then we kind of don't get back to him until the end of episode three. And then the podcast kind of alternates between stories from like the mob connected people in the city back to Trafficant's story. And I know that they are going to sort of merge together as indicated by sort of where we left off the end of what, episode seven, Kevin? Um, So, Toby, what do you think? Does this work, this idea of weaving together really two distinctive narratives? When the mafia side, it's actually more than two narratives. It's several narratives. Like we have this sort of unrelated bank heist story. You know, we've got the Costco heist. We've got the story of the guy who, you know, stabbed the guy after his wife's, you know, situation. Um, Does this work? for you these like sort of interplay of stories i think this is the weakest part of the podcast is that it does like especially with the bank heist which doesn't seem to have anything to do with anything and which we actually already heard a podcast about keith sharon's podcast which covered it in greater depth uh had sort of a similar feel i guess but i you know i i thought did a better job with it anyway yeah it just it kind of felt to me like it broke up the through story, which is about Jim Trafficant, and like even once that they kind of pull back into it somewhat, you don't know why you're listening to it for half an hour. You're like listening. So this this story where they have this thing that ends up with a knife fight, and you're listening to it is it's interesting, but it's like why? Other than the fact that these people live in Youngstown, why is this something that I should be paying attention to? If the whole idea is the story is about Trafficant, and I feel something grab me on this arm. I come up behind him, I start stabbing him in the face with the Jim Bowie knife. I pulled like this, more or less trying to get control of the knife. Cut my tendons, the wrist, and the head three times. I give him about, I think, 22 times. And the Trafficant story in and of itself is more than enough to carry a podcast, right? So this is like sort of add-ons. Yeah, so I, I kind of found it, I, I felt like it broke up the narrative and that if you're going to tell these side stories that do relate to the Trafficant story, maybe there's some way you could just assure 
the listener and be like, hey, you know, bear with us. This may not seem like it's connected, but trust me, by the time we get to the end, you'll see that this is going on because there were times when I was like, you know, can I just like fast forward through the rest of the story and and, and get back to the main storyline? I actually agree with you. I thought the first three episodes could have been condensed to one. I think we could have lost the bank heist story. I felt like perhaps the producers, perhaps Mark thought it was super interesting and included it for that reason. And I felt like when we got to the end of episode three and we heard the tapes, I was like, oh, okay, here we are. And I personally don't find mafia guys talking about their adventures particularly interesting. I feel like they all have a sameness to them. What do you think, Laura? Do you find them nostalgic and interesting or not? Well, I I think there is definitely something that is always sort of appealing about these like old school gangsters. And they definitely lean into that with this podcast. We've got the music in the background, the sound effects. But was there Louis the Lookout, uh, you know, characters with like fun names? Uh, But there is a certain point for me where like we've listened to other, you know, mafia centric podcasts and they're interesting, but after a while, they do sort of start to blend together to me because I'm like, okay, so not that like you've heard one mobster, you've heard them all, but they all sort of sound the same. But it, you know, there is definitely a listener base out there that loves mafia stories and will listen to mafia stories over and over. I mean, it's like, I will listen to cat stories over and over, even though they're all the same. So, <laughs> I, you know, I can relate to this. Cat Town, uh, USA. <laughs> cat Town, there's a new cat show on Netflix. And I'm like, Feline um, City. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so this was interesting, but I, I agree with what, you know, you and Toby were saying. I mean, I would just like a whole podcast about Jim Trafficant. Kevin, what do you think about the parallel story? Does it work for you or not? A bit. I mean, it definitely sort of is bifurcated in that way and that it isn't always obvious how these two tales like fit with one another. And I think Toby's right. Maybe just a little too subtle on that. And you don't have to be explicit about, you know, quite literally saying, hang on with us. We will get to that. Hang on for 17 more minutes. (laughs) Yeah, but there is I mean, there is a way of doing that because I, I actually, you know, separately, I do like the mob story stuff. You know, it is Crooked City. It's not, you know. Traffic can't city. So, you know, that's the signpost right there. We're going to be talking about sort of the bigger picture. But I think early on, we really haven't seen a lot of how these two things are stitched together. But I'll point out, you know, in the world of true crime, if we go back to look for our books and the true crime section, which is always the back of the store, it's never the front of the store. Half of the shelf is filled up with true crime stories that are mafia related. Hmm. So, you know, there is, you know, when we talk about murder and mayhem, there is definitely that audience for it, even if it isn't for you guys. Yeah. I mean, I think there's also this, this thing of like, if you're doing your research and you're doing these interviews and you get great tape, but it doesn't quite fit smoothly into like a concise narrative, like what do you do with it? Right. Like yeah. you've got these stories. It's like, I want people to hear these stories. They're good stories. And that that was kind of what I kind of felt like was going on to a certain extent. It's just like part of this is just like it could be called like mob stories. Like here we got like these guys yeah. telling these stories about the crazy stuff they do. And so it seemed like what he's at least apparently. I mean, we're, only, we're not even halfway through it is to kind of pop them in every other episode or whatever. But to me, it, it just keeping the thread of the trafficant thing where he pops around a little bit in time too. It seemed like it was a little much. Yeah. And you find out that it's 15 episodes. You start to wonder how many of his darlings did he slay 
yeah uh, in order like, to tell the story yeah they, they all lived <laughs> they all lived yeah do you guys remember that show city confidential that used to be on a and e with the guy with the great voice and they'd always they'd pick wherever and then he would just narrate and everything would sound spooky i feel like sort of an approach like that if you're doing youngstown where you are having these little side stories of these other mobsters but focusing more on like youngstown as sort of this living breathing character within I miss that show. That was, I always loved that. And I always like wanted to go visit somewhere after they profiled something. Yeah. You know, what's really amazing to me about these mob guys, no matter what we watch, what we listen to, even a documentary that Kevin and I watched last night that featured a couple guys like this, their memory for their own adventures seems to always be either, their memory is either perfect or they're bullshitting a whole bunch when they're telling the stories. And it's very hard to tell. That Costco story, by the way, was my favorite only because it was so weird and so specific. So they were in there looking for me, saying my name, saying, Susanne, come on out, Frank. So I fell asleep like two or three times. I dozed off and fell asleep. A dead sound of sleep. I'd wake up and like, where am I? And I get to see these big lights. And I remember like, oh. The idea of hiding on the top of a shelf in Costco and like hearing the guy in front saying, yeah, I already checked that one and thinking you're about to get away with it and then being dragged down and being naked and sitting there with the garbage. Like these guys seem to have a perfect memory. Yes or no, Kevin? Or are they full of shit? What do you think? I mean, maybe a little bit of both. It sounds like (laughs) I mean, I I think look, if if you can find I think Toby just mentioned this, that if you can find someone who's colorful and can tell the story really well. Well, it's kind of like, ah, oh, we got to use this in some way. But I kind of feel like these guys like to, you know, as we all talk about things that we've been through or like remember this time at work that they may tell these stories to each other, like in the opening scene of uh, Goodfellas. And they've done it so many times and it's been so enjoyable to them. They understand the way to tell the story. Right, right. You know, so it's like, yeah, of course, it's uh, it's going to be really good. The Costco thing reminded me of and I know you didn't watch The Sopranos. But there is a scene where, you know, like the the mob guys like go into always going to like some mom and pop stores like, hey, it's a nice store. It'd be it'd be a shame if something happened to it. Right. And they shake it down for protection <laughs> and they go into the new store in tennis Starbucks. Right. And they like try to pull that with the manager. And he's like, look, you know, if I it's a corporate thing and like if I go away, they're just going to have somebody else come in. And they're kind of like, well, Tony, what are we going to do with Starbucks? You know, and so, you know, they're talking about like those mom and pops go away. So. No, fuck it. We'll go after Costco. You, know? <laughs> you think they brought their card? There's like a stamps club. They're like, can I see your card? And you go in. It stock up on toilet paper. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Disney Plus and Hulu are better together in the Disney bundle with new movies and series. 
On Disney Plus, experience the full Taylor Swift The Eras Tour, Taylor's version, with new main show performances and acoustic collection. On Hulu, follow the fantastical evolution of Bella Baxter, played by Emma Stone in the award-winning film Poor Things. All of these and more streaming this month. Get the Disney Bundle with Disney Plus and Hulu. Terms apply. See DisneyBundle.com for details. All right, so Kevin, I think it's time to pause the show so that you can do some business. What have we got going on our Patreon? Yeah, right now on our Patreon feed, we have the Crime Writers on After Show. (laughs) And uh, we're going to be talking about the owl theory in our neighborhood. Yeah. The whole thing about our cute owls has gotten very menacing. Yes. As there have been owl attacks. We are now living in the midst of a horror movie. And we'll talk all about that. Also, we have uh, Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club podcast. Toby's going to be uh, recording that, and members of Crime Writers on Nation can sit in and watch it live. Toby, tell us about the name of the book. It's by uh, Leah Satilli, right? Yeah, it's called When the Moon Turns to Blood. It's actually it's the same case that was covered by Mommy Doomsday. Mm-hmm. Yep. But this is like 10 zillion times better and more interesting. And I'm going to be talking about it with uh, Janet Varney Mm. and Amber Hunt and Sarah D. Bunting. So that's going to be on September 6th. We're asking everybody to save the date for September 8th. We're going to be doing a live Crime Writers On recording on Zoom. And this is for everybody, whether you're in Patreon or not. We had a great time doing this on Patreon. So let's one time, let's do it for everybody. Yay. So you can get that Zoom link at our website, crimewriterson.com. It's going to be 8 o'clock. PM Eastern Time. What else we got going on, Kevin? Uh, well, Rebecca is so excited because in the Patreon feed, she has done an extra podcast exclusive. She talked with author Jarrett Kobeck. Yes. Who is the author of these two books about the Zodiac yes. case that she cannot stop talking about. I'm sorry, I can't. Yeah, so he wrote, of course, uh, Motor Spirit and How to Find Zodiac. And I had so many questions for him. A lot of them, Kevin, they were about his super restraint every time he found something super damning. Because, you know, the first thing he dug up, as I showed you when I was reading the book, it was an envelope written by hand by the guy who ends up being the Zodiac suspect in the book. And while he was restrained about it, I was not. So I asked him uh, about that. When I, as a reader, saw Mm -hmm. that first thing, I was like, holy shit, Jared Kobeck found Zodiac. (laughs) Did you not? (laughs) When you saw that first thing, were you not immediately like, I mean, wasn't some part of you immediately like, holy fucking shit, like my first Google search may have landed on something really interesting here. I mean, Yes, (laughs) Yes, <laughs> but but I was I was incredibly cautious, mm, of course, because lots and lots of people have gone down this road, and it's had really different impacts on different people, right? But I don't think there's anything worse, probably, than being the person who you know points to some figure out of the past and is like this person is zodiac and then as the evidence starts to amount that they aren't you are put in this really strange position do you defend it or do you admit that you were wrong i mean if it were me and if this turns out to be totally crap i am happy to admit that i am wrong like i actually prefer to be wrong Mm. and in a lot of ways because at the very least, being wrong about Zodiac is a known fate. Being right about Zodiac, I don't know what that means. 
All right, so you can get that now on Patreon with about 300 other exclusive podcasts. Wow. All right, Kevin. So before we wrap up the business section, do we have any Patreon patron saints of the week this week? Our Patreon patron saints are Tom Rush and Melinda Sorensen. Bless you. Bless you. Bless you, Tom. Bless you, Melinda. Bless you, everyone who follows us on Patreon and supports us there. And to everyone who's listening right now, thank you so much. And does Kevin thus end the business section? Thus ends the business section. I'm going to fade that music out right now. All right, let's move on to Jim Trafficant himself. Mm-hmm. This is a guy who had the balls to take a bribe from mob guys on tape. And on tape say, if I get caught taking this bribe, I'm just going to say, I took this bribe to get you guys in trouble. And then when he got caught taking the bribe and went to court, he used that defense and they had that tape in court of him saying that he was going to do that. And yet he represented himself in court and totally uh-huh. stuck with that defense. And then one um, Toby size of those balls from one to ten. What do you think? Yeah, it's big. I mean, he got it seemed to me like the, the key thing there was that he got like half the jury was from Youngstown and he understood Youngstown. And they talk about later about like part of his downfall is his loyalty to his Youngstown buddies. So to the extent that there's like, quote unquote, Youngstown values, like he understood that Youngstownians look out for each other so that he could put that out there and think that people were going to have his back on it. Right. And he knew everybody there and he was like a big name because he was a, he was a football star. And then, you know, he seems like, I mean, he's like the classic populist, right? I mean, his issues are populist. They say he goes to these like small gatherings and at every single one of them, he would know somebody and like have a story about them or have something he could ask about or whatever. So he's constantly putting himself forward as being like a member of the community, being a stand up guy. And in Youngstown, which seems pretty thoroughly corrupt, I think a little corruption kind of goes along with the idea that you're, you know, a figure of any kind of authority. So I, you know, it wasn't too surprising. And I wonder if like those people really believe that he was not guilty or it was just like, you know, that's. They you were know, mean he's to guilty him, Toby. of being the way they were he, mean yeah. to him. We heard, yeah, we the heard prosecutors the are super say mean. That. Yeah, Laura, we heard the juror say that he won a popularity contest. We heard him say yeah. that on tape. Yeah. We were very unhappy with the prosecution because they were mean. They had no empathy. Jim Traffigan earned the sympathy of all the jurors. You could just feel it. What did you think of that? I mean, I think if I ever get brought up in charges for my Exeter Mafia, I'm going to use that same defense. Um, <laughs> Um, I, you know, I think it's really interesting to hear how jurors reach decisions. And, and this guy was bizarre. He was out there, but he was likable. And you even hear people now like that would have still like had he not, you know, gone down. Eventually they still supported him. So it's sort of like that same phenomenon that you see with Trump where, you know, things happen, things happen. But there's like this sort of Teflon exterior that people feel sympathy or people are like, you know, they, they feel like he was wrongfully accused or whatever, and they stick with him. Um, but I am just so interested, like Jim Trafficant, like when I decided to go Google him <laughs> and I saw the hair piece, I was like, oh my God, did anybody hair. else? I, the hair piece or hair? It's hard to tell. Oh, no, he, it, this with was the bell a, bottoms? It was the toupee. Yeah. He had the toupee that was like, 
It was like a small animal on top of his head. It is hard to understate. And as much as I don't like to like use people's looks, like to talk about them, this was a look that he like cultivated. It was part of his image. So I actually think it is relevant. Well, we know he didn't spend the bribe money on. It is hard to overstate how freaking bizarre this man looked and how that was part of his image and that had how he used the way he looked as part of his image. I mean, Kevin, you're the one who showed me photos of him. And I'm like, it's like Frankenstein. Yeah, it's like, Haven't you seen the photo? Yeah. No, it's like Frankenstein walking down the court steps. And it's like ill-fitting. It's one thing that a podcast is hard to capture. That yeah. in addition to his colorful nature, and, and this is kind of like why his appearance kind of plays into really what his character is, is that he wasn't a slick Italian suit when you hear him you know, uh, spinning his populist ways, it kind of played into what his his persona was as being a, a regular working guy no, or whatever. He, but he Remember? didn't look regular, right? I'm thinking well, about... You know, he looked the opposite of smooth, right? right? I'm thinking about, Toby, I'm thinking about like John Fetterman, right? Who's running for Senate in Pennsylvania, right? Yeah. He's a, he went to Harvard, John Fetterman, but he always wears hoodies. Like that's his thing. And he's like, this is how I dress, whatever. And whether or not you think that's cultivated or real, that's what he dresses. And I think that it's fair to say that John Fetterman, tattooed bald guy, actually looks very comfortable in his hoodies. Jim Traficant did not look like he was wearing clothes that anybody else would wear. Or would eat crudite. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what, do you, what did you think of just sort of his cultivated persona? Because he was doing that thing where he was supposed to be like signifying, I am representing every man. And he had that expression, which kids in high school, he used it at drug talks, he used it in front of the jury, and then he used it in politics, you know, stand up like a junkyard dog in the face of a hurricane. But this was his image. And it's really incredible. Like, what do you just think of his persona? So I, I was working in D.C. for a magazine in the 90s when when Traficant was in Congress. And he was definitely like one of the weirdest guys, one of the weirdest people in Congress, if not the weirdest. Just definitely very, very strange. And his his big thing in Congress was he would do these one minute speeches. And then at the end, he'd say, beam me up. Yeah, there's no intelligent life here. Beam me up. But beam me up. It was sort of shorthand for things have gone. Things are nuts. Yeah. I mean, he when I was doing a little bit of political organizing back in the 90s. No, sorry. The uh, 2000s in New Hampshire, like there was definitely like different kinds of ways of getting your point across to different areas of New Hampshire. Like you didn't want to send super slick brochures to some parts of New Hampshire, other places you didn't want to send something that was obviously run off on a copier. And so he kind of nails this populist, like I don't have heirs. I'm representing you. I'm not a sellout. I'm not wearing expensive clothes. I live on a little houseboat. You know, I don't shower regularly. I just put on polo or whatever the hell oh it was God. he was using. <laughs> polo. Um, and I'm not going to, I don't play the game. And part of that is I don't look like anybody else on the hill. Like everybody else dresses to the nines, wears suits, like whether they're expensive or not, they're wearing like normal people suits. And he comes in like the haircut is, is like when, uh, when what's his face says says a captain kangaroo haircut it's yes. like yeah that yeah. pretty much nails it 
like if Captain Kangaroo like was losing his hair and put on a toupee on top that was for somebody else, <laughs> like that would pretty much nail it. Um, and then his clothes are just weird, you know? I mean, he just, he, he's a strange, strange guy. How about the one scene, Toby, where he is on stage with Governor Bill Clinton running for president, and he uses that moment while they're on the stage to whisper to him that Clinton has got to deliver this big military contract and kind of, you know, it's like, I'm picking my moment. When does he need me the most? And it's like this second. I want you to know what he was doing while Al Gore and Bill Bradley were speaking. He said, listen, you're going to win this election, and we've got an application in to get part of the Defense Department's finance operations here. And I want you to help us. And it sounds like Clinton said, told the story, and then he added, if you give me a fair deal. Right. Clinton, <laughs> but it was Clinton's fault. Clinton went to the microphone and repeated the request. I actually think that was Clinton's fault for giving Jim Traficant that power in that moment because Clinton went to the mic and said, you know what your congressman just said to me? Uh, so Clinton put himself in that position. Well, I think he was trying to like <laughs> give himself the out, you know, kind of yeah. like Traficant did when he was running for sheriff. Right. But, uh, but yeah, but Laura, speaking of that moment, like this is a guy who knew how to capitalize on the uh, sort of misfortune of his community, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that it seems like he's always in the right place at the right time and knows how to work every single angle. And you know, that combined with this sort of like bombastic out there sort of like he, you know, all the things he's saying, it's like America first and everything is fake news and he's yelling and he's he's walking around with his little skinny ties and his cowboy boots and everything. But that's drawing the attention. And it's also, you know, he he is tying it back to his community when he he is out there. Um, it's it's crazy to me. I think about when you think about a, a community like Youngstown and I always sort of relate to like, OK, where could I see that happening here in New Hampshire? And I could definitely I don't know about you guys see this happening in like Berlin mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. where you have like, OK, we had one industry. We had like paper mills in Berlin and then the paper mills closed. And then there was this period in the 2000s where they had tons of arson fires up there and tons of you know, things. And, and it's like, what's going to come in there and turn that around? In this case, it was a prison, ironically, that came in and sort of brought jobs back to the area. But when you look at how Trafficant is like advocating on behalf of Youngstown, you're like, okay, well, how are you going to retool Youngstown? You know, you've got these laid off steel workers, you've got the mafia, like, how are you going to bring that back around, especially when you have this guy out there advocating for them, who's a little bit out of the box. Um, so I don't know what the Berlin Mafia would look like, but they probably <laughs> wear a lot of plaid and Carhartt overalls. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> a couple of things interesting about about this. A, that a community would want the mafia there. It's like very different than, you know, a lot of community neighborhoods, say, in New York, where the mafia was like very oppressive. Right? They want them to just kind of tolerate it. Well, yeah. well, they, the you know, the and according to the podcast, a lot of people in the community wanted them because they were the only source of sort of like entertainment, the only source of industry, the only source of income for a lot of people, right? Where am I going to get my drugs and prostitution if there's no mafia here? Second, the thing (laughs) I like about this podcast and the thing I like about stories like Traficants is there are a lot of very, especially young people now who are extremely disillusioned with politics and not just because of the Trump era, right? They're extremely disillusioned with Democrats. They're extremely disillusioned with the left as well as the right. And I think a podcast like this telling Traficant's story and hearing 
how a Democrat used the same exact talking points that we're hearing in sort of modern politics, racist talking points, America first talking points, you know, these same kind of really poisonous kinds of politics sort of coming from that side of the aisle. I think it does underscore a lot of the disillusionment that like we are hearing now from like young people who are basically saying this whole system is broken and needs to go on the trash heap and stop just saying like it came from here or here or here. Like the, you know, the the entire like two party system is broken, yada, yada, yada. Like I understand that better when you sort of look at through this longer lens at these longer political stories and see how. You know, mainstream politicians worked with someone like Trafficant. They were willing to work with him. They gave him what? That other hundred million dollar project or whatever, just to keep him in line instead of just being like, no, like, shut up. You know, you're racist. You well, told the general you fucked me in the ass. So I think that <laughs> I mean, it was unbelievable. I mean, Toby, you know what I'm talking about? Like, I, I do think stories like this are important for us to remember the brokenness of politics, period. Right. And I don't know, like there were times when I thought that he wasn't being held as accountable for his messed up politics as he could have been during the podcast. Cause it seems like it felt the same way a little bit in crime town is like, there's like this amusement at these lovable characters or whatever, but Jim Trafficant, you know, he was, he was a racist. He was a bully, you know, he was wildly corrupt. So I, you know, beyond being a character, I don't think he was a particularly good guy. And in some ways, is sort of the worst of politics. On the other hand, his district was dealt a crazy bad hand. He had no leverage in terms of leadership or seniority or anything in Congress. So, I mean, he was just kind of doing what he could to bring home something for his district, which was suffering. So in that way, I could see, you know, the ideas behind what he was doing. But, you know, he's like an old school racist xenophobic <laughs> you know ass and and sort of I, I remember he was just considered like to be a very very conservative democrat of the kind of which I, I don't even know if they exist anymore quick question for you kevin yeah how do they do all those foley noises of all the stabbing <laughs> you mean when the guy <laughs> got stabbed in the face yeah i don't know but i it's it uh it's I think they probably pulled apart a wet cabbage hmm. or a wet piece of head of lettuce hmm. and then slowed it down. Is that something you think about when you listen to a podcast like this that has lots of sound effects? I always wonder, like I want to ask Kevin later, like how do they make that sound? Well, effect? a lot of it's just on a CD or right. a thing that they pull off. But that's a particular one like back in uh, old time radio days where they would, <laughs> you know, a good punch is like slapping a wet ham is like yeah. how they would do it. And so. Yeah, ripping that apart and then slowing it down a little bit or, you know, oh, another way would be a uh, wet paper towels to squish them. Those, you know, make the noises. You know how much I dislike Foley and sound effects and, and these kinds of things. They don't ever like stop to like and then he's dead, you know, like that. It's just it's kind of like underground. It's 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 um, it's tolerable for me. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. 
VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Disney Plus and Hulu are better together in the Disney bundle with new movies and series. On Disney Plus, experience the full Taylor Swift The Eras Tour, Taylor's version, with new main show performances and acoustic collection. On Hulu, follow the fantastical evolution of Bella Baxter, played by Emma Stone in the award-winning film Poor Things. All of these and more streaming this month. Get the Disney Bundle with Disney Plus and Hulu. Terms apply. See DisneyBundle.com for details. All right, let's do what we do. Let's let our listeners know, should they check out Crooked City, Youngstown, Ohio? It's a new podcast. Laura Bricker, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for Crooked City? I'm going thumb sideways because there's parts of this that I like. I like the second half of this where we learn more about Jim Traficant, the politician from Youngstown. We've listened to other gangster slash mobster stories, and it's a personal preference. It's not like my favorite kind of story. I mean, they're interesting, but for me, I was like, um, okay, what's, what's the new mobster angle here? So if you are somebody that likes those kind of stories and you could sit around and listen to the old guys sitting around telling their war stories, you will like this podcast. I just, for me, it was just kind of, I was like, eh, it's not, it's not bad. It's not great. It's just sort of, for me, it was just sort of not my personal preference. So I'm thumb sideways. Toby Ball. Yeah, I guess I'm a mild thumbs up. I think the Trafficant story is is very interesting and I wish they like stuck a little bit closer to just that story and either not done these little side trips or, or made them shorter or like at least gave you some sense of why you are listening to it, even though they're, you know, if you like mob stories, they're, they're pretty amusing. So, yeah, I mean, I think that, that that's essentially my critique is that the, the main through story is good. This isn't as focused as it could be, even though the stuff that it kind of veers off into I think for some people is going to be amusing in its own right. So it's, it's sort of a mild thumbs up. If they just suck with the traffic hand stuff, I think I'd be more enthusiastic. Kevin Flynn. I'm going thumbs up. Uh, you know, crime town is the OG podcast. And uh, we, I think get a lot of this, the same kind of feeling in, in this one, including, you know, another uh, badass theme music score. So yeah, so Smurling like does a you know a decent job of finding a community and telling its story and finding a central figure for a through line. Thinking of Buddy Cianci in Crime Town, and I just think at this point, and admittedly, we're on episode seven of fifteen, and so we don't really know how he's going to land the plane. But to this point, I think just sort of the weakness is sort of it feels like it's two podcasts and not one because we really haven't drawn that straight narrative line to uh, Trafficant and uh, all these guys who are you know beating each other up and robbing banks and getting stabbed in the face. So well, I, th- I think that um, it's still a thumbs up for me, but I'd like to see you know how it ends. Yeah, I'm with you, Kevin, and you, Toby. I'm going mild thumbs up. Um, the stuff in here that's good is really good. The, tra- Jim, the Jim Trafficant story is super interesting. 
I don't think it should have taken me till the end of episode three to get excited and feel that way. The bank story, high story should have been cut completely. I think that, you know, recently I was watching on Instagram um, a video from our friends at True Crime Obsessed from their live show about Class Action Park. And they played the clip where it's like, to understand this, you have to understand New York in the 70s and 80s. And Jillian Pensavalli says, why do we always have to understand New York in the 70s <laughs> right? And I'm, that's how I felt about this. Like, you could have just told me. I didn't need like three episodes of mob guys talking about their stories to understand the background here. I, I, when I heard that tape, though, of Trafficant on, you know, the FBI catching him at the end of episode three, I'm like, here we are. Here's the springboard. Here's why I had to get through all this other stuff. But I didn't have to get through that much stuff to get there. So if that had been telescoped considerably, this would be a, a much more enthusiastic thumbs up. I think the political story here is fascinating. I think that some uh, people who make content about mafia-related stuff overestimate how interesting it is to hear secondhand a mob guy telling his own story. I think it's much more interesting when you're sitting across from them and looking at them in the face than it is when you're hearing it through headphones. So that's something that I will keep in mind if I ever make a podcast about mob-related stuff. So mild thumbs up for me. Now it's time for my favorite part of the podcast, a little something I like to call... Crime of the week. The crime of the week. The latest TikTok craze is suggesting women stop using perfume and instead VAB. That means to dab your neck with your own vaginal secretions to attract a man. The claim is that vabbing will allow others to smell your pheromones to capture a guy. Scientists are divided on whether humans have the same kind of pheromones other mammals have and whether or not they can be weaponized or sexually arouse potential suitors. A biologist told Insider Magazine, vabbing probably doesn't work, but it doesn't hurt either. He said the act of smearing the JJ juice. <laughs> Jesus Christ. May instead just give you a new confidence. Because who can't face the world when their neck smells like a pair of leggings after an hour of hot yoga? <laughs> Thanks, Kevin. Uh, panel, let's sell a cologne harvested from men's genitals. Yay. What shall we call it? Laura Bricker, what do you think? No, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me what, what do you think a cologne harvested from men's genitals should be called? I There's not a whole lot of choices, but I would say Oda Balls. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think, Kevin? Chode Spice. Oh, very, very good. I am just going to leave all that nastiness right there. That is going to do it for us. But before we go, Laura Bricker, do we have a cat of the week this week? <laughs> We do have a cat of the week this week. I went on a bucket list trip this week, a cat rescue with my friend Betsy, who some of you may remember. She's the one I got Stampy and Zelda from. And we um, rescued a little cat named Dickon, whose owner had passed away. And Dickon is going to be a difficult case. He's, he's not had a lot of contact with other people during COVID. He's getting his nuts snipped today, but it's a problem because he only had one nut that could be seen. So he's, it's mm. uh talk about, anyway, but it was a big moment for me to be out on it. We went in the Bricky Mobile in my Mini Cooper on this cat rescue. So stay tuned for updates on how this little cat is doing and when he is adoptable. 
All right. Laura Bricker, if folks want to reach out to you and tell you, no, they do not remember where you got your cats from because you talked about that many, many years ago, but they do want to see your future cat rescues. How can they find you on Twitter? They can find me at Lara Bricker. By the way, I didn't remember where you got your previous cats from, but I'm so glad you did because I never, ever get tired of your cat stories. Toby oh, Ball, God. if folks want to reach out to you on Twitter, how can they find you there? Well, first of all, I feel like Dickon could have been an answer to the crime of the week. But, um, <laughs> at Toby Ball and H. <laughs> Kevin Flynn, what about you? Where can you be found on Twitter? I'm at Kevin P. Flynn. And if you want to follow me on Twitter or Instagram, you can find me at Reb Lavoy. You can also follow the show on Twitter at Crime Writers On. And please join our incredible community and our official Crime Writers On Facebook group. Just go to our regular Facebook page and hit join the group. Support the show at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. You'll get the Crime Writers On after show right now. Plus, Married with Podcast, Lara Bricker's Leave It to Bricker podcast, and Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club podcast. Our theme song was composed and performed by Ty Gibbons. Our line editor is the incredible Olivia Burdett. The executive producer of this fine program is Kevin Kevin Flynn. Flynn. This show was recorded in the yoga loft above the bodega in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi studio, otherwise known as Studio C, The Closet, in our New Hampshire basement where we accept bribes, but only in a super secret undercover sting to expose the bribers and give back the money. Yeah, bullshit. On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. Later. The claim is that vabbing will allow others to smell your pheromones and capture a guy. Oh, I'm not saying that. (laughs) No. And capture a guy. Leave it out of that. (laughs) No, leave it out of saying that. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.